0: As you sit down, I would invite you to turn to the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel. As you're turning there, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever felt like there was a dark cloud hanging over your life for an extended period of time? It didn't matter what you did to try to lift the cloud. It just would not go away. And maybe the cloud came because you had a string of bad experiences. Maybe you you lost your job, and then you had a bad breakup, and then you had a health problem, and those string of bad experiences just created this dark gray cloud that hovered over your life. Or maybe you just had one terrible experience, and everything after that terrible experience was tainted. Maybe someone you loved very much died and it devastated you to the point that your whole life changed. I mean, even the food that you ate, your favorite food didn't taste as good anymore. Maybe your favorite movie that you would go to to make you feel better, the movie just didn't, wasn't as good or as funny as it always had been. Or maybe your favorite hobby, something that you could just escape and enjoy. Because this dark cloud hovered over you, you couldn't even enjoy your favorite hobby the way that you used to could surely many if not most of us have been there in our life and during those what I call dark cloud days during the dark cloud days what we have is two options option number one is we can turn to the Lord for hope and for help and to recalibrate our lives option number two is we can turn to idols We can turn to idols because they function to help us cope with our darkness, help us cope with our emptiness and our loss. And the deal is this, is that every one of us in this room knows that option number one is the best option. We all know it's the best option, but it's the option that we oftentimes don't choose. We choose option number two. The reason we choose option number two is because option number one is more difficult. Option number one takes more effort. Option, te- option number one takes more uh, effort and concentration, and it takes more of who we are. Option number one takes the entirety of our lives. Option number two, man, it doesn't require 100% allegiance. Option number two, when we can just go to an idol and get relief, go to, a, go to an idol and, and kind of salve our consciences or, 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 or bring some type of relief to our problem, and just makes us feel better for a little while, that's a lot easier than option number one because idols are a lot more flexible than the Lord is. Yeah. Idols have a lot less judgment to them than the Lord does. And the reality is this, folks. Idols come a lot more natural to us than worshiping the Lord does in the midst of dark days. So as bad as it sounds, you know what we do when we have a dark cloud hanging over us a lot of times? We choose darkness to help us with our darkness. That's exactly what Israel did 3,000 years ago. 3,000 years ago, I've said many times already in the sermon series that there is a, it is a gray day in the... In, in the nation of Israel. Times are tough because leadership is bad. There are priests who are um, disdaining the glory of God. They abhor the worship of God. And so, what God does is He comes in judgment upon these priests, Hophni and Phinehas. And, and because Hophni and Phinehas and Eli have been bad leaders the people of Israel, they don't know God very well. They don't don't understand His character very well, and and, and because of their ignorance of God, they have no real love for God. And so God judges Israel as they go out to battle. If you can recall this, Israel is, is met up with Philistia, And Philistia comes after Israel. And Israel says, you know what? We've got to win this battle. And in order to win this battle, we're going to go get the ark of the Lord and we're going to bring the ark of the Lord into our battle camp. And there is no way that God is going to somehow humiliate Himself and allow us to be defeated if we bring Him into battle with us. And so we're essentially going to twist God's arm and cause Him and make Him win the battle for us. And so they go and get the ark. And Israel goes out to battle with the Philistines, and the Philistines destroy 30,000 men that day. And they steal the ark of the Lord. And they take it back to their land. Now, bad things happen to the Philistines because they do this, right? We can remember, because of their irreverence, God just essentially shows them His power, His sovereignty, and His glory. And so they, they essentially give the ark back to Israel. But do you remember what Israel did with the ark? After they worshiped the Lord and made a sacrifice, they treated it as familiar. They treated the ark as if this is no big deal. And so so some of the men began to investigate the ark. Some of the men began to look inside the ark. Some of the men treated as if it's not very special. And what they're saying is the Lord's not very special. The Lord is not holy. He is not supreme. He is not set apart. He is not sinless. He is not this holy, holy, holy Lord. And so what does the Lord do? What does he do? He strikes down 70 Israelite men like that, and it scares the Israelites to death. And so what they said, get this ark away from us. And so they get this guy Benadab and his son Eleazar to come and get the ark, not to build a new temple, not to create a new tabernacle where people can flock and worship and make sacrifices, no, to put it in their house so that nobody else will see it or have to be around it. Or, or engage the Lord in any way. That's where we pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 7. And, and in chapter 2, there's a lot in the white spaces because 20 years pass from the time that Eleazar takes the ark and puts it in his house. And during those 20 years, Israel goes through a dark cloud period in their life. It is darkness. Uh, The cloud is hovering over them. And instead of returning to the Lord, instead of worshiping Him, instead of pursuing Him, instead of going through the difficult stages of being honest before the Lord about their hearts and their lives and their idolatry, what do they do? They turn to idols. They, They look at the idols of the Philistines. They look at the idols of the Amorites. They look at the idols of all the nations that surround them, and they say, you know what? it's a lot easier to go over here and worship Ashtaroth. Let's build a wooden pole and we know that He's going to help us with our crops. This God who is represented in this wooden pole, we can bow down to Him on a regular basis and He's going to give us good crops, good fruits, good vegetables. Let's worship Him. And then Baal. Let, let's take some of, these, some of these small statues that they sell at the marketplace just outside of Israel and let's put them inside our homes. Let's put them on top of our, our furniture and every day when we walk past it, at least once a day, let's bow down before it and let's say, God, um, God of, of Philistia or Baal, we just bow down and we, we ask you to cause us to be fertile. We ask you to bless us in, in every way. And so Israel, listen folks, the people who have been chosen out of the world to represent the glory of God and to spread the love of God is now bowing before wooden poles outside of their towns and they're bowing before statues inside of their homes. Men and women and boys and girls are all out and out idol worshipers. That's what's going on in Israel. The people chosen by the Lord of glory. And it happens year after year after a year and two decades build up of idol worship, and that's what they do with their time. But after 20 years, look at verse two. It says that the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. This word "lamented," it means to grieve. It means to have sorrow. It means to come to the end of yourself. And the only thing that I can say, because the text doesn't tell us, is that apparently Israel understood the emptiness of their chosen idolatry. They understood the vanity. You know what? If you've ever had an idol in your life, I know I've had plenty of idols in my life. What you come to realize at some point is that your idol is never going to give you the ultimate fulfillment that you're looking for. It's never going to give you the eternal pleasure that you're looking for. And idols always break the hearts of their worshipers. Okay, And so what they've seen is that Baal doesn't exactly give us what we're looking for. The Asheroth doesn't exactly give us what they've... And then in the back of their mind they realize they've been called out by the Lord of glory to be His people. And so they had a sense of guilt about their, their sin. And so they're lamenting after the Lord. They're grieved over their sin. And so verse 3 tells us what Samuel, the man of God, the priest of God, the prophet of God, the judge of God, says to the house of Israel. He says, if you're returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Asherah from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve Him only. And He will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Keep your eyes on that text right there. That word returning. He says if you're returning, that means repenting. Repenting in the Hebrew idea means to be walking one way and to immediately turn around 180 degrees and walk the direct opposite direction. And Samuel says if you're truly repenting, if you truly want to change your life, then don't keep walking in that direction. Completely turn and go in the direction of the Lord. Yahweh, your God. And he says, then this is what you need to do. If you're going to do this with your heart, not not just with your body, not just with your actions, but with your heart, then you need to put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you. Get rid of those statues. Cut down that pole. Get rid of them all together so that you won't go back to them, so that you won't set them back up, so that you won't bow down before them, because this is one thing about the Lord of glory. He will only accept 100% of your heart. He will not percent 75% of your heart. He will not receive that. Listen, folks, I want to tell you something about God. God requires 100% allegiance, not 75%. Let me ask you something. If you have a husband who is faithful to his wife five days a week, but on the weekend he has another woman, is that man faithful? He is not faithful. But you might do the percentage, like, well, no, that's almost like seventy-eight percent. Now that's a pretty faith. No, nobody in this room believes that that man is a faithful husband. That's right. And I to tell you, God does not consider any person a faithful worshipper if they give Him seventy-eight percent of their heart. Right. And that's what Samuel is saying to Israel. He's saying, "Listen." I don't want 78%. I don't want 84%. The Lord wants 100%. So put away the foreign gods. Put away the Ashtaroth and direct your, and does he say your hands or your eyes or anything like that? No, he says direct your what? Your heart. That is your mind, your will, your emotions, your desires, everything that you are on the inside, direct it to the Lord and serve Him only. I want to tell you something about this word serve. It's the exact same word that the Old Testament uses for worship. See, so there is no strong distinction between worshiping the Lord and serving the Lord. Right. Yeah, Worshipping the Lord is serving the Lord. Yeah. All right? Honoring the Lord is also working for the Lord. And so he says, Give your heart to Him and serve Him and work for Him and love Him and adore Him and what will He do? He'll deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. and That's important. We don't see that the Philistines are after them at this point but we're about to. And so what did did Israel do? They did exactly that. They got rid of their idols. They put them away. They they certainly probably struggled with that, um, that act but they put them away and... They serve the Lord only. And so, in verse 5, Samuel says to Israel, gather all Israel at Mizpah and I will pray to the Lord for you. It's fascinating. Samuel doesn't say, hey, I hear that you guys have turned. I hear that you guys have, have repented. I hear that you guys have gotten rid of. That's great. I will, I will continue to remember you guys when I'm praying for you day in and day out. But I'm, I'm so excited that your families and individuals have all decided to do that. I'll remember you. No, Samuel understood the importance and the significance of corporate repentance. This is so important. Gather all Israel at Mizpah gather all Israel. He doesn't say send a delegation, send representatives from each of your villages or each of your towns or even each of your families. No, he says gather all Israel because corporate repentance after corporate idolatry is absolutely imperative among the people of God. Listen, this underscores the reality that it's not just about my relationship with God. It's not just about your relationship with God. You know what it's about? It's about our relationship with God. And, and, and we discussed this on Wednesday night. But let me tell you something, church. Don't ever think that your personal sin only has personal consequences. Don't ever think your secret sin only has secret consequences. When I am unfaithful to God and I have idolatry in my heart and I pursue idols rather than God, you may not see it, but I can guarantee you it has a negative impact on your life. And when you do the same, it has a negative impact. Listen, your personal spiritual burdens and idolatries have an impact on the body of Christ. But in the positive direction, you know what? When you seek the Lord and you honor Him and you get alone with Him in the closet and you read the Word and you talk to Him in prayer and you honor Him with your heart and out of your life, you know it has a positive impact on me. It has a positive impact on these people. Individual relationship with God has a corporate blessing among the people of God. And individual sins uh, before God also have a negative impact. And that's why Dave, uh, That's why Samuel says, Gather all Israel and I will pray the Lord for you. Now verse 6 We see something very peculiar. They gathered at Mizpah. They followed the leader's directions. And they drew water. And they poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day. And they said there, we have sinned against the Lord. Now we see the use of water in Old Testament worship a few different times as you read Genesis all the way through Malachi. But we don't actually see this happening, this duplicated again. And the picture that's given is they are, uh, I guess, going to a well and they are taking a a bucket or a basin and they're, they're dipping it into the water and then before the Lord, they just dump the water out and they continue to fast before Him and they confess their sin. The conclusion that I draw from that is that they're saying Our heart right here has been full of stuff. And we just want to pour our heart out before you, God. We want to confess to you everything that has been in here. And we want you not only to see it, and we not only want to confess it, but we want you to get rid of it. Lord, create in us a vessel that is open to Your glory, open to Your love, open to Your mercy, open to Your blessing, open to Your character that we might be shaped and formed in Your image, not in our own. And I think that's what's going on here. And they confess their sin. We have sinned. We have, we have rebelled against Your good word and Your good laws. You ask, well, what, what sin are they really guilty of? Well, They're absolutely guilty of the very first commandment. Anybody remember what the first commandment of the Lord is? What is it? You shall have no other gods before me. And Israel had had plenty other gods before the Lord. And they said they are guilty of this. And surely they named their sin. And surely they confessed both individually and as a corporate body. And it says that Samuel judged them that day. Why? Because they were earnest and honest before the Lord. Now, the, the, the passage goes on to talk about Samuel judging four times. Samuel judged, Samuel judged, Samuel judged. I just want us to understand one thing. That Samuel is not merely, you know, sitting on some big bench with a black robe on and a gavel in his hand and hearing cases of conflict or hostility between different Israelites. That's not the idea. By judging, the texts indicate that He's leading. That he's shepherding. Okay, he's a prophet of God. He's a judge. He's a prophet of God. The, the prophet of God is chosen by God to receive the message of God in order to give the message of God to the people of God, right? right. That's what he does. Yeah. Well, that's the exact same function of the Word of God. You know, the Word of God is here to teach us, to rebuke us, to correct us, and to train us in righteousness, right? Right? That's exactly what Samuel is doing here to Israel. He is teaching them about the glory of God. He is rebuking their sin before God. He is correcting them, showing them the path toward holiness before God, and then he is training them in that way, showing them how they can live for God's glory and not their own or some idol's glory. And so that's what's going on here as he trains, as he corrects, as he rebukes, as he encourages. Now, at this point, The Philistines, who have been successful against Israel all these years, had defeated them. They feel really good about themselves. They've had a lot of success, they have defeated. Thousands and thousands of Israelites, and they have taken over Israelite land. They've taken over Gath. They've taken over Ekron. They've taken over Ashkelon. They've taken over these cities, and they've said, Yeah, you thought this was yours, and you claimed that God gave it to you. We're taking it back. And for years, for decades, they own this land, not rightfully, but because they seized it by force. And so this is what they think in their minds. The Philistines said, You know what? All of Israel is gathered in this one place. If we just want to eradicate them, if we just want to get rid of them all together and take over all their land, the time is right because they're all in one place. So let's go after them. And so they are advanced in their technology. They are advanced in their warfare. They're better, quote unquote, warriors than Israel is, etc. And so they get ready to go up against Israel and to take all of Israel by force because they're in one place. And so what does Israel do in response? Look at The end of verse 7. When the people of Israel heard of it, they were afraid. They were afraid of the Philistines. Now, let me ask you, church. When this happened about three chapters ago, what did Israel go and do? They grabbed the ark. They said, why has the Lord allowed us to be defeated before Israel? And before they even ask answer the question, before they even let themselves think about the answer to the question, they go and grab the ark and try to twist God's arm as they bring the ark and they act like, oh, we've got this. We're going to get victory. It's going to be awesome. We're going to dominate. We're going to rule. But now that the Lord has broken their hearts, has humbled them, that they've humbled themselves before the Lord, this is what they say. We're fearful And Samuel, verse 8, don't stop crying out to the Lord our God for us that He may save us from the hand of the Philistines. You see that reverence? You see that humility? Oh, are they fearful? Yes. But they understand that it is the Lord that they need. It is God whom they need to give them victory. And So what does Samuel do? Look at verse 9. He takes a nursing lamb and offers it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And get this, y'all. Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel. We see the words cried out a lot in the Old Testament. And you know what we're tempted to do? We're tempted to just mute that phrase out. But I want you to know that the man of God among the people of God, cried out to God and said, God, They've come to You. They have humbled themselves before You. They are in a, a fix. They are, they are scared to death. And they want You to help them. And they've asked Me to pray for them. God, help Your people. God, deliver Your people. God, because of the greatness of Your name, because of Your magnificent glory, because of Your desire to build Your kingdom, because of Your desire to spread Your fame, because of Your desire to reach every nation and every tribe for Your glory, Lord, would You save Israel today he cried out the, the the tense the idea is that he doesn't just pray one prayer he continues to pour his heart and his emotions and his life out to the lord on behalf of israel and so what happens the text says that the lord answered samuel Hallelujah! yeah His cries, His emotions, His pleas, they don't fall on deaf ears. They don't fall on callous ears. They don't fall on impotent ears. They fall on ears that are glad to hear the pleas of the man of God. They are glad to hear the humility of the people of God and are glad to answer affirmative to the will of God. And so, look at verse 10. The Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines. And threw them into confusion. And they were defeated before Israel. If you just read the Bible, you will see that God is not only above all of creation... And higher than all of creation, but he is intricately involved with his creation and intricately involved with nature and many times throughout scriptures you see that God thunders that he lightnings that he does something to it within the the earth's um, atmosphere to bring about his purposes. And that's exactly what happens here. It goes on to say that the men of Israel went out and, they, and they, they chased after the Philistines and they captured them and they seized them and they were able to get their land back and all of that. But the idea that Samuel is trying to bring before us here in this narrative is that it was the Lord who did all the heavy lifting. It was the Lord who conquered um, the Philistines and all Israel did was just kind of come up and mop up the rest. And that's what God did to the people of Philistia, the army of Philistia. Look at verse 12. Because of this deliverance, because of this victory, Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shin and called its name Ebenezer. Let's read that again so we understand what happened. Samuel took a stone, set it up, and called its name Ebenezer. Now the word Ebenezer means stone of help. Stone of help. And and Samuel says, Till now, or hitherto, or up till now, the Lord has helped us. There's a lot packed in that statement. I want to draw out one thing that, that I think would be easy to overlook. It's that little phrase, till now, or hitherto, some of your older versions of the, of the English Bible say. What Samuel is saying is that the Lord of glory has always been a help to his people. Yeah. You realize he helped Abraham? You remember when Abraham was asked to bring Isaac, his only son, up to the altar? And it looked like he was gonna have to kill his own son. But the Lord of glory, who is a helper, what does he provide? He provided a ram, a substitute for his son. Do you remember when Israel was caught in bondage in Egypt? And they cry out to the Lord for help. And and the Lord takes this guy who has been out in the desert for 40 years. He thinks he's a has-been. His name is Moses. And brings them and delivers the people of Israel out of bondage in Egypt. And as the and as the Egyptians chase them and try to bring them back, the Lord helps them by parting the waters and they cross over dry land and then destroys the Egyptians who are going after them. Do you remember the people of Israel who have no food and they have no way to sustain life in the wilderness at that point? And the Lord helps helps them by providing manna day in and day out and day in and day out. What what Samuel is saying up till now, the Lord has always helped His people. Ebenezer, the Lord is our help. The Lord is our Savior. The Lord is our Deliverer. We're going to remember this because even on this day, not only did He help Abraham, not only did He help Moses, not only did He help the people of Israel, He has helped us today. And so the Philistines were subdued. They didn't enter the, the territory. It was given back to the people of Israel. And there was peace, it says, even between Israel and the Amorites. Look down at 15 and following. So Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. He went on a circuit year by year to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mizpah. And he judged Israel in all these places. And then he would return to Ramah because his home was there. And there also he judged Israel. And he built there an altar to the Lord. What does the Lord want to teach us? How is this relevant to Redeemer Church? This is 3,000 years ago. And these people are so ancient These times are so different. It's a different epoch. It's a different era. It's a different time. It's a different circumstance. It's a different culture. Everything's different. But I want to tell you something. There's one thing that's not different, and that's the Lord. The Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And so this is what I want to tell you, church. If you want to know the Lord if you want to experience His blessing on your life and in your family and in this church, then you and I must be marked by a lifestyle of repentance. We must be marked by a lifestyle of reverence before the Lord of glory. We must be marked by a lifestyle of, of remembering the Lord who is merciful and gracious and is a deliverer. And we must be marked by the simple routines of worshiping God day in and day out, month in and month in. Uh, out year in and year out. Let's do some let's just do some some meditating here. So if you're if you're one of these note takers who wants to just think about things in terms of what does the Lord want me to do? The first thing is this is have a lifestyle of repentance. Repentance. Church, every one of us experiences seasons of idolatry i don't care whether um, you've been walking with the lord for 30 years or three years we all have seasons in which we turn from the lord and we turn to idols we all do and what we need is we need people in our lives who are going to speak the truth to us We need people in our lives who are going to show us the glory of God and the greatness of God and the emptiness and the vanity of our sin. And we need to turn in the right direction as they steer us in that direction. I said earlier that the Lord requires 100% allegiance from His worshipers. And I want to say this, church. You are not returning to the Lord unless you return to the Lord with all your heart. Today, God is saying to Redeemer Church, you have to choose between me or idols. You have to choose between me and that which soothes your your fleshly lusts You have to choose me uh, between me or that which makes you feel better for a time that you run to for help, that you run to for comfort, that you run to to get away from your difficult life and your dark cloud. You've got to choose between me and that thing because I am unwilling to receive any kind of worship or any kind of allegiance that is not 100%. To some of you, I believe that the Lord is saying you've got to choose between sexual sin and me. You've got to choose between gluttony and me. You've got to choose between laziness and me. You've got to choose between greed and me. You've got to choose between materialism and me. You've got to choose between self-centeredness and me. You've got to choose between a, a form of Christian life that makes it easy to go to church and easy to post on Facebook, but also easy to talk about people and slander people and not give your whole life and not give your resources and not give your, your time and your talents and your treasures to the Lord. you got to get rid of all of that. Get rid of the syncretism. Listen, listen. if, if you would have asked the Israelites... In the day that they were worshiping Baal, in the day that they were worshiping Asheroth, if they worshiped the Lord of glory, you know what their answer would have been. Yeah! Yeah, we worship the Lord. Why? Because they just combined these idols with their quote-unquote worship of the Lord. They had a syncretistic worship of God. That is, they just kind of morphed and fashioned their form of, of the worship of Yahweh with the worship of other things. And that's exactly what we have a tendency to do today. You have to choose between money or me, God says. You have to choose between apathy or me. You have to choose between Alabama football or me. You've got to choose between these things that are so close to your heart and me because I will not accept anything that is less than 100% of your allegiance. And so, if you'll look down at verse 3, what, what Samuel does is really gives us a portrait of what repentance should look like in our lives. First of all, grief for sin. Look at, you know, at the end of verse 2. They lament. They see their sin. They have a sight of it. We sure have sin. We have idols in our lives. And then he says, listen, if you're returning to the Lord with all your heart, this is what you've got to do. Put away foreign gods. You've got to put them away. There's got to be a literal putting away of the gods that are not the true Lord of glory. And what you've got to do is then navigate your heart, direct your heart to Him, and serve Him and Him alone. And what will He do? He will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Listen, in other words, he's saying you've got to change your mind, you've got to change your heart, you've got to change your affections, you've got to change your allegiance, you've got to change your attitude, you've got to change everything about you if you want to experience the blessing of God's fellowship and the blessing of God's saving you and rescuing you in this life. Now, one principle that I learned from studying this passage this week is that if you worship the Lord, if you turn to the Lord with your whole heart, you will trust Him with your whole life. But if you don't turn to the Lord with your whole heart, if you don't turn to Him with your whole heart, you won't trust Him with your whole life. There will be portions of your life, there will be portions of your heart that you've got to protect, that you've got to watch over, that you've got to to make sure that you're sovereign over because you've got hidden agendas and you've got selfish reasons why you're holding on to them. And what the Lord says is, if you will just give me your whole heart, all of your mind, all of your will, all of your emotions, all of your desires, all of your affections, all of everything that you are, I will guarantee you this, you can trust me with it. And church, I I just want to encourage you right now, you can trust God. God is trustworthy. God is faithful. I want to tell you something. You're not very trustworthy. You're not very faithful. Trust the One who has proven Himself time in and time out that He will accomplish all of His good purposes and He will fulfill what is necessary for your ultimate and eternal joy uh, in this life and in the life to come. Well, I want to call you to repentance today. I want to call you to do some heart searching. I want to call you to say, you know what, I've got sin in my life. You know, I got a little uh, form that I have typed up, called it confession. You notice that they confess sin in this passage. At the very top, I write, confession of sin is necessary for fellowship with God. It is necessary for revival, and it is necessary for fellowship with God. I want to just... I want to offer up some possible sins that you might have in your life that you might need to confess to the Lord today. In Matthew 6, Jesus says that if you forgive others of their sins, God, and God the Father will forgive you of your sins. But if you don't forgive others, then your Father will not forgive you of your transgressions. I want to ask you today, is there anybody you're not forgiving? Is there anybody that you're holding a grudge against? Is there anybody that you've got a heart of bitterness toward? I'm going to tell you. You need to repent today. Yeah. Right now. Jesus says, By this all men will know that you're My disciples if you have love for one another. I want to ask you, do you have an attitude of love? Or is there in some way, shape, or form an unloving spirit about you today? Are you secretly kind of pleased with the failure or the misfortunes of people around you? Are there people that you deliberately slight, that you deliberately um, want to make less of because you have a grudge against them or because you don't love them as much as others? You need to confess that sin to God today. 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? who is in you. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. You have from God. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Glorify God in your body. I want to ask you today, church, are you careless with your body in any way? Do you fail to care for it as the temple of the Holy Spirit? Do you have any, any, any habits that are defiling to your body? You need to confess that sin today. You need to repent. You need to turn toward the Lord. Ephesians 4 says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Let me ask you something, church. Do you complain? Do you have a bitter spirit about you? Kids, let me ask you this. Do you complain when your parents give you a simple instruction? A sin. A sin. If you're a Christian, you need to repent. You need to turn from that sin. Are you irritable? Do you you ever carry just hidden anger just below the surface of your heart? A sin, you need to confess it. Ephesians 5 says, be careful how you walk. Not as unwise men, but as wise. Making the most of your time. Making the most of your time. Making the most of your time because the days are evil. Let me ask you, do you spend too much of your life doing meaningless things? Do you spend a lot of your time in front of a television? watching show after show or movie after movie or news broadcast after news broadcast, I want to tell you, you are not making the most of your time if that's what you're doing with your life. Today, you need to confess that and you need to repent of not pursuing the Lord harder than you are. In Philippians 1, Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I want to ask you something. Do you derive your greatest joy in knowing Christ and living for Him? Or is stuff more important to you? Are things more important to you than Christ is? If there's anything in your life that's more important than Jesus Christ, you need to confess it today and you need to repent of your sins. Colossians 3.9, Paul says, don't lie to one another. Since you've laid aside the old self with its evil practices, let me ask you something. Do you ever lie? Do you exaggerate? Do you ever steal or do you ever cheat on an exam or cheat at your workplace or steal something from your workplace? And this is sin. You need to confess it. You need to repent. You need to turn away from those things and turn to the Lord of glory. Paul says to Timothy, a young pastor, he says, flee youthful lust, Pursue righteousness and faith and love and peace with those who call on the Lord from a, a pure heart. And I want to ask you do, you, do you allow impure thoughts and sexually immoral passions enter into your mind and into your heart and you keep them there and you, you meditate on them and you enjoy them? If you do, you need to confess that before God today and repent and turn while the opportunity is here for you today. Hebrews 10 says, Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Not forsaking our assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. we tell you what the New Testament encourages. The New Testament encourages the corporate gathering of the, of the believers. It encourages faithfulness to one another as we are faithful to God. I'll tell you, the church is not a place for you to come in and out of when it's convenient for you. The church is not a place for you to come in and out of when when all the stars align and everything is going just right in your life. And you say, hey, why don't we go to church today? Why don't we go to Bible study this Wednesday night? Why don't we go to home group tonight? Everything is lined up perfectly. Let me tell you something. The church is a place for you to be faithful to and a people for you to love week in and week out, day in and day out for you to be in relationship with them. Man, if you are belittling the church of Jesus Christ today, you need to confess your sin and you need to repent of it. Hebrews 13 says, "Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith." I just want to say this as as a leader: um, it's important that you follow good leadership. It's important that you don't resist good leadership. Our American spirit says, you know, it's me, myself, and I. I am self-contained. I have everything that I need. I am on top. I've got all all faculties and all abilities and all strength to do everything that I need to do. And listen, I want to tell you, I I have no desire to lord anything over you. And I know none of the elders or the deacons do at this church. But I do know this. God has set up leaders to love you, to serve you, to bless you, and to, to direct you toward the glory of God. And I just want to encourage you, if you've got an unteachable spirit, if you've got a a spirit that says, I'm not going to be corrected, I'm not going to be led, I'm not going to be shepherded, I'm not going to seek advice, I'm not going to seek counsel, this is what you need to do today. You need to repent. You need to confess your sin, and you say, I need to submit my heart and my life and my circumstances to the leadership that God has given me. And I'll just tell you this today, church. If you can't do that, you need to find another place to worship. James 4. It says, God gives greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So I just want to ask you, are, are, are you having a spirit of pride in your life where you say, you know, I'm really not that bad. I'm actually a pretty good person, and I do a lot of good things, and the reality is I'm better than most. That is a prideful spirit. And we all need to be humbled before the foot of the cross, and we need to repent of our sin, and we need to confess. Now, I've got more to say. And I'm not going to stop here, but this is what I do want to do, is I want to ask if you'd be willing to bow your head right now, bow your heart before the Lord. And I've done the best that I could to try to expose potential sins that are in your heart and in your life right now. And I just want to give you some time to identify any idols in your heart that you need to repent of That you need to turn from, that you need to cast out, and you need to turn with all your heart to the Lord who is a Savior, to the Lord who is merciful. God says that if you confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive all your sins and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. God is that faithful. He is that loving. He is that merciful. He is that gracious. But He will not forgive your sins if you don't confess them. He will not forgive your sins if you don't repent. I'm going to give you some time right now just to confess. When Israel was experiencing a revival there, as they were repenting, as they were giving reverence to the Lord, Samuel took a lamb and he offered it completely. A whole burnt offering before the Lord. And he cried out to the Lord for Israel. I want to tell you something, church. You have something more than a small little lamb. You have the Son of God who is perfect, who is spotless, who is stainless. And you know what He did? He came to planet earth and He offered up the entirety of Himself as a whole burnt offering because the blood of bulls and goats and lambs will never cleanse you of sin, but the blood of a spotless, stainless, whole burnt offering called the Lamb of God will take away your sins forever. Let me tell you something. That day, the Lord delivered Israel from the Philistines. But on the day at the cross, when the Lamb of God was nailed, His hands and His feet, He had the crown of thorns over His head, and people were spitting and mocking and ridiculing and maligning and, and, and making fun of Him. You know what He cried out? Father, forgive them. Forgive them. I'm going to tell you something, you've been delivered from way more than the Philistines today. If you confess your sins and you repent of your sins and you turn away from your idols, the Lord has forgiven you of all sins past, present, and future. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter whom you hurt. It doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter the faithlessness in which you carry your life. If you return to Him and confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive because there is a Lamb who is on the cross who said, forgive them for they know not what they do. Listen, we need to revel in the forgiveness of the Lamb of God today. I want to tell you something, church. What Samuel did is pretty amazing. Because after the victory was won and he took that stone, I have no idea how big this stone was. But when he set that thing up and he says... Until now the Lord has helped us. He called this stone Ebenezer and he used this stone as a a, a tool for remembering the salvation of the Lord, for remembering the deliverance of the Lord. And every time that he went to that stone, it jogged his memory. And when his memory of the goodness and the grace of God came, you know what it did? It stirred his heart. And as his heart was stirred about the greatness and the goodness and the deliverance and the help of Almighty God, you know what it produced in him? It produced worship. It produced worship. And I will tell you, there is no Ebenezer. There is no Ebenezer like the cross of Jesus Christ. And every time we look at the cross and we envision our Savior dying on that cross... What we need to remember is that God is good. God is gracious. God is our helper. God is our deliverer. God is our Savior. And as we remember that, it stirs within our heart affection for the Lord Jesus. It stirs within our heart love for Him. And it stirs within our heart worship of this great Lamb of God who has taken away our sins. Can I get an amen? Phil, would you come on up? if you would just right now just enter into a time of of meditation reveling in the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Church, we all need our Ebenezer's. We all need our stones that we set up. I can tell you that in my office I have... Ebenezer's on my wall. I have Ebenezer's on my desk. I have Ebenezer's on my bookshelf. Things that rem- that call me to remember the faithfulness of God, the help of God, the deliverance of God. It jogs my memory. It warms my heart. It drives me to worship. But there is no Ebenezer like the cross, and there is no Ebenezer like the Lord's Supper, Communion, as we celebrate the great help, the eternal help of the cross work. Of Jesus Christ. There was a guy in the 1700's. He was 22 years old. His name was Robert Robinson. He penned a a hymn. It's called, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Tune my heart to sing Thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonic, sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mount, I'm fixed upon it, mount of thy unchanging love. Verse 2, here I raise my Ebenezer. Here there by thy great help I've come. And I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger wandering from the fold of God. He to rescue me from danger interposed His precious blood. You know what Robinson does there is he takes 1 Samuel 7 and he combines it with the Gospel. And he says, this is my Ebenezer, the cross of Jesus Christ. And then he says, O oh, to grace how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let that grace now like a fetter bind my wandering heart to Thee. Prone to wonder, Lord. I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for that courts above. Church, one thing that I did not say in the sermon, among many, but one thing that I did not say was the last part of that text we saw the routine of the Christian life. You know, we, we, we like to think, man, we want to be a part of the great awakening. We want to be a part of a great revival like the revival at Mizpah. We want to have the energy and the emotion and the praise and the confession. We want that euphoria. And hey, may God bring an awakening here. May He bring us an awakening. But you know what? Life is really lived at Rama, Day in and day out. Worshiping the Lord day in and day out, opening up our Bibles, reading and praying day in and day out, loving our neighbors, serving our family, caring for our friends, worshiping God through singing and prayer and Bible study. And that's where God's presence is felt most of the time. And so let's be like Samuel and let's just day in and day out, go on our circuit and worship the Lord wherever we are. And let's build up an altar unto the Lord and give Him praise. Can I get an amen? Amen. God, we want to ask Your blessing on us, Lord, as, as we seek to repent before You, as we remember Your grace and Your goodness, would You give us a sense that You are with us, that You are in us, that You're for us, and help us to walk with You this week. In Jesus' name, Amen.